Good morning. Uh, we are continuing our series on the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Uh, so you can turn there to chapter 9. The, this prophetic book is divided into two main sections. There is uh, the first six chapters where there are a series of visions that God gave to the prophet to assure the people of his sovereignty and care. And then there is a transitional section, uh, chapters 7 and 8, where the people were bringing a question to the Lord about their worship and fasting. And now, for the rest of this book, uh, it consists of, of two oracles. Uh, the word oracle literally means burden. Uh, and this oracle, we're told, is uh, a burden of the word of the Lord. It's a reminder that God's word does, in fact, carry the most weight, that what God says are not just the most precious truths, these are the most serious truths. Whatever God says should weigh upon us, that we take it seriously. Now, in our experience, whose word carries the most weight tends to be situational. If you're at work, the, the owner or the boss has the most weight by what they say. Uh, if you need surgery, your doctor carries more weight than your boss. And this morning, as I was deciding what shirt to wear for church, <laughs> my wife's opinion is more precious and more important than all of the others. Uh, we live uh, in a way in which uh, different people in different situations and categories tend to carry the most weight in those situations. But what if there was a person who had the most authority with the most wisdom and was the most wonderful, precious person of all. And the truth is, we, we have that person. That person exists. God, who is our creator, and of everything that exists, he alone being unmade. God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who is always here with us and is the sum of all perfections. God's word always matters. What God has to say, his oracles to us, his messages to us should always be meaningful. So let's see what this first oracle of Zechariah has to say to us how it begins in, in chapter 9, verse 1. <clears throat> the oracle of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach, and Damascus is its resting place. 
For the Lord has an eye on mankind and on all the tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also, which borders on it. Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise, Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust and fine gold like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea and she shall be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid, Gaza too, and shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also, because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza. Ashkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod. And I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your merciful care in speaking specifically to our hearts. You who see and know us, minister to us, for we are in need of you. We are in need of a word of wisdom. And so bring that to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We see in these words that God who has more weight than any person intends to throw that weight around. In other words, God intends to be God. He is going to exercise the reality that He has authority over all that is created. He is going to exercise His power. He is going to exercise His perfect wisdom. God never backs off from being who He is. Creator, Lord, God. However, God never uses His weight, His authority, in an arbitrary way. We're told in verses 1 and 8 that God sees what is taking place. Verse 1, the Lord has an eye on mankind. Verse 8, he ends this section saying, I see with my own eyes. God sees everything. For the rest of us, we see some things and we see them in some measure and we're trying to make judgments and decisions and we, we act upon what bit we see, but God sees it all. He sees the biggest injustices. He sees the smallest of obediences. He sees the deepest of hurts. He sees 
the most private of sins. God sees all of that in every place and from His perfect understanding and from His perfect virtue, from that God acts. Never arbitrary, never lacking in any bit of truth. So that all that God says and does is shaped by His perfections. All that God says fulfills His perfections. The world has so many complex problems. They don't seem to be getting better, do they? And it's not because people don't try or people don't care. Now, there are some who, in any big situation, are just seeking their own ends and their own fame and power. But for the most part, there are people who are burdened by the, the struggles of the world and they're trying to figure it out. And they're applying their wisdom and they're trying to interpret what they see and they're trying to learn from others and uh, they're applying these things and seeking to press decisions upon us and take action and yet the problems of the world don't really get better. And the reason is those who in the world are trying to come up with solutions do so without God being the central character. And though they have bits of truth and reality they're working with, there are these gaping holes because they're not basing what they think upon the reality of the Lord God who is sovereign over everything. And they are not going to the Word of God as the beginning place of every situation. We, we can see and understand why that would be true of the world. What's interesting, and what should be even more concerning to us, is that the church seems to be tearing over the same issues. That the church where we all claim to rest our beliefs and our actions upon the Word of God, and yet the church is tearing apart along the same issues and often along the same lines as the world. And we have to ask, why would that be so? It's because at times, even as believers, we take up what the world has said and start to carry it and act as though what the world has said is the baseline, is truth. Or we, we may take our side, what we we think the Bible says concerning a position, but then we use the world's methodologies. And so we, we may have a more biblical perspective and understanding, but 
we're, we're yelling at each other like the world does, and we're putting people down on Facebook and social media like the world does. We're mad at people who don't agree with us like the world is. We must, we must be careful with, with the truth we're basing our thinking on. Is it, is it truly and fully what the Word of God says? And is our methodology filled with the grace of God that we've received? Is our methodology as pure as we think our opinions are? In this oracle before us, God is putting forth His weight in two areas. God is is speaking strongly about two categories that we all face that are important to all of us, that cross all lines of race and generation and time and geography. The first of these is that God is putting His weight behind. He's putting His word, His declarations behind His judgment. That's what we see in most of these verses. God begins giving a list to us. This oracle starts with a list of kingdoms that God says He will tear down. Now, these names are traditional enemies of the people of Israel, those who over the centuries had created problem and abused the people of God. Now there are other kingdoms as well that had re, uh, rejected the truth of God and had misused the people of God, but this is a very particular list. Uh, it falls into three categories. Uh, verses 1 and 2 were Syrian cities. Hadrach, Damascus, and Hamath. The other group in verses 3 and 4 were the Phoenician cities of Tyre and Sidon. And then five and, verses 5 and 6, we have uh, the great cities of the Philistines in Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and Ashdod. But God picks these kingdoms and cities, and then gives them to us in a very particular order that later on in history would stand out. Because in less than 200 years, each of these cities and kingdoms would be destroyed in the exact order in which the Lord gives them in these verses. This would be done by Alexander the Great in his war against the Persians. And his path of destruction was to begin up in the north with Hadrach and continue down on his way to Egypt. He would destroy all of these cities in this order, and yet in the middle of all of it, he would leave Jerusalem untouched. Now, God here is not just foretelling events. 
Now God peering into the future. What do I see? Uh, God is telling us what he will do. Verse 4, behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike her down. As Proverbs 21 tells us, that kings, they, they are held in the Lord's hands and he moves them as he will. Empires are the instruments of God. Whether they are viewed as good empires or terrible empires, God will accomplish his full purpose in bringing judgment on those who deny him and bringing salvation to those who trust in him. God will show himself to be God through it all. Now, this oracle of judgment, this weighty, burdensome statement of judgment becomes descriptive in two different places. The first is in his judgment on Tyre, which we see the, begin, the middle of verse 2. He says, Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise... Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust, fine gold like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions, strike her down. She shall be devoured by fire. The city of Tyre had become a great trading power. It was a city not just on the edge of the coast of the sea. It was actually an island a half mile from the coast. The city was considered impregnable. It was a wealthy city that could not be conquered. The world knew that. The citizens of Tyre knew that. They believed that because they saw around them the walls of the city were 150 feet high that went up to the shoreline. The Assyrians laid siege to the city for seven years before they gave up. Nebuchadnezzar, the great conqueror, he laid a siege for 13 years before he packed up and left. And when God appointed a man to fulfill the job in seven months. The city was torn down, cast into the sea, burned, and has never been rebuilt again. In Psalm 45, it calls Tyre the richest people of the world. And in Ezekiel 28, it says, they had made their hearts to be like the hearts of God. But no amount of wealth, no power, and no influence can withstand the word of God and what he says he will do. He is the one who is unstoppable. And there is a a second place of emphasis when he speaks about the, the cities of Philista in verses 5 and 6. And think of 
how the Lord is describing the mindset and what takes place among these peoples. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza too and shall writhe in anguish. Akron also because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza. Ashkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. Again, God shows that all of our plans and our confidences and our hopes, they cannot withstand the weight of God's sovereignty. They cannot hold back the power of what He has said He will do. And why is that important for us? This is what God says He will do. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God has said He will judge all sin in every place. In every heart, in every home, no matter how obscure, no matter how high, no matter how low, no matter how private, no matter how great, God will judge it all. Not because He is a tyrant, not because He is arbitrary, but because He is true and He is just. And He cannot let sin stand. God must be God. He must be perfect, perfectly just, perfectly righteous, and He will stand against all sin. But the oracle of God goes on. In verse 7, we see God is also putting His weight into great mercy. In the midst of his just judgment, God says, in the middle of it all, he will also be acting to save. That's what verse 7 is telling us. In the beginning of the verse, he says, he will take away the guilt that defiled them. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from beneath, between its teeth. He's speaking of the... uh, idolatrous practices among Philistia where they would drink blood and eat of sacrifices given to foreign gods, those who aren't gods. And the Lord says, I will take that from their mouths. I will take away their abominations, their ignorance, their sin. He will replace it with truth. And then he goes on to say that his mercy will not just be a passing kindness. He will make them a remnant for our God. Meaning those he saves, he will keep. He will make a remnant. They will not be overcome. They will stand forever. God will have a people. And then he goes on 
most astonishingly, God will bring those who are enemies that he saves and says he will keep, which means he's committing to them. He even says he will bring them into his family, his household. They shall be like a clan in Judah. And Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. The Jebusites were the people who originally founded the city of Jerusalem, which King David conquered and made his capital. And the Jebusites were those who lived there first, and they were just absorbed into the people of Israel. And so that's what he's saying, just as the Jebusites were absorbed into my people, so these other nations that began opposed to the word of God, worshiping in ignorance, living by abominable practices. I will take their guilt away. I will make them my people and they will be gathered in and forever they will be mine. God puts his weight behind his judgments and God puts the fullness of his weight behind his mercy and his grace. Indeed, the, the weight he puts into his grace is greater than all of his works combined. For all of the actions of God cannot surpass that which was done through his Son, God becoming flesh, man who lived perfectly in this world, who went to the cross and gathered our guilt upon himself, and the wrath of the Father fell, and the price was paid so sinners can be free. So our guilt can be removed. And he adopts us into his family, and he commits to us forever. And he has a kingdom that will be untouched by sin and heartache, and that is what he's gathering us to, to be with him forever. There are no greater works, no greater commitment, no greater sacrifice than all that took place in what we call the gospel, that God has made a salvation for sinners. And how do we get such a thing? How could it be true? What must we do? Nothing. We believe. We just acknowledge our sin and say, Lord, save me. Forgive me. Take my guilt. And God who sees everything, sees the heart that truly desires him. And with the full weight of his glory, he washes your heart forever clean. How powerful is this salvation? Your guilt will be unseen by God for eternity. It will not be found. It is gone forever. And even with your struggles and your failures and weaknesses, he will hold you and make you clean and presentable. The gospel carries the full weight of God's goodness, faithfulness, and grace. Nothing is more weighty before us 
than how we respond to Christ. Because every one of us is guilty before Him. There are no exceptions. The Bible says there's no one who's good. They are by our standards. But no one before God is without sin. Everyone is under judgment and needs His grace. And His grace is declared for anyone who will believe they will be saved. God is not a tyrant. He is the upholder of truth who wondrously wants to save and give grace freely to whoever is the worst of sinner in here. You can leave if you haven't already with all the weight of your sin gone. You who would be ashamed if the rest of us knew what has taken place in your life, you can be clean. You can leave unburdened by it. What it takes is to humble your heart and say, God, save me. And if you're not sure you have enough faith to do it, Lord, give me faith to see. Help me see. Give me faith. And that's what God gives. He gives the faith to believe. If God's word carries the most weight, what are then some implications we should take with us? In addition to the greatest of all, will you respond to Jesus? If God's word carries the most weight, then pay attention to what God says. And that means for all of us in some ways, we're going to need to turn down the dial of other voices. Maybe spend less time with what you watch or what you read. Spend more time in the Word of God so you're so saturated you can judge what you're hearing from other places. May our hearts be so infused with the greatness of what God's Word says that we are undaunted by the world's burdens. We are not cast down. We're not fearful. We're not overcome because we follow Christ who is victorious King. He is not quaking before the world's problems. Neither is He throwing up His hands not knowing what to do. We Simply get in line, be follow him, and live for him, and we will stand. His word stands forever, yours doesn't. And neither does anyone else you're listening to. Not only does God's word stand forever? It's worth that it stands forever because his word is wondrous and true. If God's word carries the most weight, then make what he is doing, his work, more important than your own. So rather than complain about the world, 
How wonderful would it be if our lives were the aroma of Christ to the world? To be, tell you the truth, you're just in line when it comes to complaining. There's nothing new or original in complaining. There's a lot of people fulfilling that role. You don't need to jump into it. The world is short. Shorter than it should be. Of those who walk through their ordinary day displaying the character of the most wondrous person in the universe, Jesus Christ. Oh, what an impact that wherever you go, the love of Jesus is there. The heart of Jesus is there. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is there. The emphasis of the gospel is there. Now that, that's a life worth living. And you don't have to make it effective. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And finally, if God's word carries the most weight, then trust how God carries out his word. For us, timing is always now. What prayer do you have that you don't want answered now? God's answers are always what is best for our destiny, the souls of those around us, his kingdom. And we can trust how he carries out his word, how he pursues his will in timing and ways. And sometimes those ways are hard Sometimes they don't seem to make sense. But we can trust him enough to know there will be a day when we will be able to declare the goodness of what he has done in all things. He will show that to be true to your soul. Empires flow through his hands so that we can remain in his hands. And so people of God... Your Lord, he is weighty and he is wondrous. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we call out to you oh, to, to speak to our souls, convict us of sin if that is our need, Convict us of the full power and glory of the gospel, if that's our need. To convict us of our words or attitudes, if that is our need. To convict us of the worthiness of serving you, if that is our need. Lord, you see, press in. May your truths be weighty upon us. Weighty, yet our souls lifted by the wondrous glory that is Jesus Christ. Meet us. In his name we pray, amen.